Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. Can turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Can I preach the gospel on Easter Sunday morning? That's not a rhetorical question. I'm, I'm just going to say if I can preach it with the help of the Holy Spirit, then I believe he's going to deposit something in our life today that when we leave here we'll know we didn't just go to church on Easter Sunday morning. So if you look for me and anticipated for me to be cute, Probably not going to happen, because I come to claim he's a champion, and I have every uh, intention of getting excited about the fact that he's alive, and I'm not just talking about on Easter Sunday morning, I'm talking about every day of my life. I'm excited because the greatest event in human history is the resurrection of Christ. And that's not just an Easter Sunday morning message, because I'm convinced of this, universally man understood we needed a solution. Why would there be other religions? Why would there be other alternatives to provide a solution to the depravity of humanity had there not been a consciousness within all of us that said, we need some help? So the very fact that we all have become conscious of the guilt of sin, I've got to give you the solution because there's only one solution. And that is that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven into the arena of earth and he became the answer. Became the answer. And uh, I'm glad he didn't come to apologize. He came to be a champion. And I'm glad that there are no other religions on the earth that can claim what ours is. Because I don't look at mine as a religion. Don't be confused. I don't look at this as a religion. I look at this as a relationship. A relationship that transformed and changed the way I lived and the way I believed and the way I behaved. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read two verses of Scripture if possible this morning because I, I am concerned that the modern church, when I say the modern church, I'm talking about the church of our culture, has somehow sedated the message. And I think we've preached a message of morality that talks about how to have a, a decent home and a decent marriage and given us certain parameters or standards of lifestyle, but I'm concerned that the modern church has focused on morality as opposed to immorality and immortality. Because I can preach to you about morality and I can give you some behaviors and some, some things that will help you uh, live a better life. But I don't believe Jesus just came for me to have a better standard of life. I believe he come to deal with my immorality, my sinful nature, my humanity, my carnality. But he also set me up for immortality, which means I will live and not die. 1 Corinthians 15, are you there? Look at verse 14, please. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty or vain, and your faith is also empty. If Christ is not resurrected, if he's not risen, then our preaching is empty, our faith is empty, and what we have is what every other religion has, and that is a code of ethics and rules that has no power to give us vitality or virtue of life. Verse 17. One more time, the Apostle Paul says, and if Christ is not risen, 
Your faith is futile. And in the latter part, he said, you are still in what? Your sins. See, if there's no resurrection, there's no remission of sin. And see, my concern is we've lost the power of the message of the cross. Because we don't want to preach a message that is as gruesome as the cross really was. We want to sedate it. We want to bring it down to a level of conformity to the world's culture. But I can't stand before you and preach a champion of the cross unless I preach a bloody cross. Now, I understand that for some we don't want a bloody cross. We would rather have a non-confrontational message. But that wasn't the cross because the cross was very much confrontational. Because it was the sacrifice of God the Father giving His Son that He might be a Redeemer and a Restorer of me. And I'm not going to stand before you on Easter Sunday morning and be cute. Nor did I come here to be enticing with words. I came here to be prophetic in utterance and declare that the greatest days of our life are not just historical. And I appreciate having the historical view of the of the cross. And I can gain great value of being reminded. I don't know if you didn't weep while you watched that. Because it reminds us historically of the sacrifice. But Easter's not just a, a historical view. Because many today would celebrate around just the history. And we would celebrate around the fact that He was crucified and resurrected and we go no farther. But it wasn't just a historical event. It also carries the weight of a futuristic event. Because what Jesus did for me was He paved the way for eternity. That I didn't have to die a death on the earth and never have the future hope of eternity. And I appreciate the fact that we can look prophetically into the future and we can sing about our future and we can rejoice about our future. Anybody planning to go to heaven in this room? Is anybody got your name written in the Lamb's book of life and you know that you know that you know that you know you're going to a place where He has prepared for you? The Bible said we are the children or the sons of the resurrection. The resurrection doesn't only mean historically giving me a redeemed past, but it also gives me the hope of an eternity. And I'm thankful for that and I'm glad about that. But my problem is, if I stay just historical, then I'm always looking through the lens of life and I'm looking at, at the message of the cross and the resurrection historically. And that carries great value, but within itself, it really doesn't motivate me all the time. And sometimes I'll get all into the future and I'll think about how good it'd be not to be on the earth. Wouldn't it be wonderful to not have any more pressure? Look up at your neighbor and say, you won't have to pay any more bills. <laughs> you won't have to pay any more bills. You won't have to pay the mortgage. You'll be in eternity and there'll be no stress, no sorrow, no tears, no agony, no pain, no cancer, no torment, no turmoil. To spend eternity in the presence of my God to celebrate and fellowship with others that are redeemed and washed in the blood. That, that gives me great hope and excitement. But how many understand that if it's all historical and it's all prophetic, we'll miss the present tense? And, and I'm concerned that the message of Easter has been either heavily historical or heavily prophetic, and we're not talking about the benefits of the now. 
say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, see, I can talk to you about past tense, or I can talk to you about future tense, or I can talk about present tense. And for some reason, I, I felt so compelled to deal with present tense because we're living in a world that's hurting. Families are fragmented and being destroyed. There are people sitting in this room right now under the sound of my voice, and the, the reality is their life is, is crushing them. Pain and agony and sickness and disease and malady and infirmity is pressing in on them. No different than this uh, drama that you witnessed, right? That was a picture of real life, isn't it? The struggle in the household to, to make decisions that, that are honoring to God. The reality of having the affordability of coming to a place where you can make a decision to accept that Jesus Christ is more than a religious figure. The reality to be able to see the cross not as a historic value, but as a prophecy of what you can become through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So my thought today was real simple, and I won't hold you terribly long. But if you're new here, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Home folks understand what I just said, because I didn't come in a hurry. Because the value of my day is not the, the rush of an Easter egg hunt. The thrill of my day is not the fact that I get to fellowship with friends and family and enjoy that benefit. The thrill of this moment for me is that I get to testify in the present tense that Jesus Christ is not just historical and He's not just futuristic. He is a very present help to me in a time of trouble. So I thought about it and I thought, well, what can I benefit from the resurrection and how can the resurrection help me today? How many would like to understand that? Understand what, Pastor? Understand that the resurrection can help me today. You say, how can the resurrection help me today? First and foremost, what does the resurrection testify? It testifies to us that Jesus Christ was not just a man. That it was not just a prophet, but that by the crucifixion and the resurrection, he proved that he was divine and the Son of God. You say, well, what does that mean for me today? Because I'm dealing with real life issues. Anybody in the room dealing with real life issues, just wave at me. Well, isn't that interesting? We all deal with the same problems. To be a Christian doesn't make me immune from hardship, does it? To attend church does not make me uh, uh, free from diagnoses from doctors that say I have certain conditions. Christianity doesn't put plenty of money in my bank account. Christianity is not without its sorrow and depression, is it? Come on, talk to me for a few minutes. Christianity does not make me immune from, from my arch enemy. If anything, it, it reminds me of the struggles we have in life. I want to say this to you. In a world that demands that we represent what we believe, it's difficult to represent what we believe when the world we live in doesn't believe in what we believe in. Because when I tell them my hope is in Christ, they look at me with a funny grin. As if for some reason this Christianity or this religion is a crutch to me. And I understand there are many of you in this room that you don't understand that Christianity is not a crutch. It's not for us that are weak. It is for us that have come to the realization that we needed somebody, someone, 
to spiritually change our life. Because see, the resurrection to me says I was spiritually dead, but now I'm a spiritually alive. And it's hard for us to understand that, and so I'm going to go historical for just a moment. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, and Adam and Eve made a decision to sin. Do you know what happened that day when Adam and Eve sinned? Spiritual death came to them. They were never designed or created to die. Adam and Eve were to live forever. They were to reproduce and subdue the earth. Death was not a part of the plan. It wasn't until sin came into the garden that spiritual death came. So you, under, you don't, may not understand, but all of us were born spiritually dead. You say, well, I blame my grandmother or my grandfather. No, you've got to go farther than that and deeper than that. You've got to trace it all the way back to the beginning of day with Adam and Eve because that's when spiritual death came. And that's why when I think about the resurrection, I think about my spiritual death because I've lived a life full of sin. He who thinks he's without sin. Y'all not going to help me this morning, but that's all right. He who doesn't think he has sin. Yes, cast the first. See, for me this morning, the resurrection gives me confidence to know that I can stand before you with a Bible open and a microphone in one hand and declare, yes, I was once spiritually dead. But because of the resurrection, I'm spiritually alive. I may not look like a lot on the fleshly side. I may not look like I got my act together. But don't judge what you see on the outside because on the inside I've been made new. The old thing that I was has been passed away. I know my body's deteriorating. I know my mind is getting away from me. But deep down inside where you cannot see, I've been to the fountain of the flood blow the the flowing of the blood where it is washed and redeemed my soul. I know that doesn't make sense to us in a natural mind. And I know my carnality can't wrap my arms around the fact that I'm born again. But if there is no resurrection, then there's no spiritual life. The fact that I'm gathered here this morning with you says I believe in something more. I believe in spiritual life. And the only way I can have spiritual life is not by good deeds. Not by behaving somebody's code of ethics. And not by just accepting someone's morality. I've had to make a decision. Out of curiosity this morning, how many know without a shadow of a doubt that He put a new spirit in you? When you came to an altar or you knelt before him or, or you drove down the road and said, Lord Jesus, I am a wreck. You know what the greatest testimony there is on the earth? Not your ability to buy a new home. You know what the greatest testimony of your life is? Not your ability to have a new car or a successful business, but that you can testify that I was once dead in the transgressions of my sin. But He came, and I know Him personally. He's not a religious figure like others would deem Him to be. He is the Son of God, but He's my personal Redeemer. He is my Yahweh. He is my Savior. He's my Lord, and He's the Lord of my entire life. You say, does that make you immune from problems? No, but it gives you confidence to deal with life. Your life will never be without problems, but the fact that you're born again, 
that you have a new spirit in you. See, that's what Jesus did for us. He fixed what Adam messed up. He fixed what Adam messed up. Physical death is still a part of our life. How many found out the older we get, the less mobility we have, less strength? Okay, some of you are in denial. Can I help you? Your physical body is still getting older, waxing weaker. Come on, somebody. I know you're 25 right now and you ain't got no problem. Wait till you're 50. Or 60. I can't even get a senior adult to say amen. I don't understand. Come on, Ron. Come on. Yeah, I got, two, I, I, got, I got a few in reality. The rest of you, I'm not sure what you're thinking. Not as strong physically as we once were when we were younger. But just because my physical man is deteriorating doesn't dampen the message of who He is in us. So what am I saying? Don't allow the externals or the circumstances of your personal life or the weakness of life to diminish the fact that He has changed you. Granddaddy Wilson, in the later years of his life, sat and spoke to me these words. He said, you better do it, son, when you're young. Preach it when you're young. Obey God when you're young. Because when you get older, your body will not allow you the usefulness of service in the kingdom. Never forgot that. 25, 26 years later, I never forgot what he told me. I have every intention of wearing out my body. You say, well, Pastor, what what about the passing away of, of your natural body? It is just the carrier of life. Real life is not in my flesh. It's in what He's done to my spirit. And I know that makes no sense in a culture that is so deluded on truth. But see, He gave me spiritual breath. Do you remember, can I work this out for you? Thank you. If you will recall with me, when Adam and Eve were created, God formed them from the dust, did He not? And the Bible said that He breathed into their nostrils life. Correct? And then sin came in because of their disobedience and their rebellion, and Adam and Eve disobeyed, and so sin enters in, which means that Jesus had to be the sacrifice to restore what God set in motion. Now, that being said, after the resurrection in John chapter 20, the Bible says that Jesus went into the upper room where the disciples were, where they had gathered, and the Bible said in John 20 that He breathed on them, and they received what? The Spirit. He said, receive the Spirit. And He breathed breath upon them. That's in Scripture. See, when God formed man, He breathed into them life. After the resurrection, what Adam had lost, which was the breath of God, Jesus shows up after His resurrection, not before the resurrection, after the resurrection. And He breathes onto the disciples the resurrection to me today. 
lets me know that the spiritual death that I had is no more because I've acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior, and I have spiritual life. But the breath that I need, the vitality of life that I need, He's still breathing upon us. That means when you're down and out, you're really not down and out. When your back's against the wall, you, you really feel like you have no options. I want you to know you've still got some options. When it appears as if the life that's within you is being sucked out by life itself and the pressure of life, you're really not without a covenant. Because there's still a breath of God. I hope and pray today that before you leave this house, it's like God breathes on you. The very vitality of His Spirit that lets you know that no matter what you face, He's still King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's still the message of the gospel. And I'll keep thundering it and preaching it because He's the champion of life. And when the world says it doesn't want to hear it, I'm going to preach it louder and harder because the breath of God still changes lives. It's the inspiration to me. When Adam lost the inspiration, Jesus gave it back. And He released the breath of God, the inspiration of God, to let me know that no matter what I face, He's still there. That's why the Bible says in John eleven twenty five, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in he who believes in me. I believe in you, Lord. My confidence is in none other. You are the breath in me that gives me hope in the midst of a hard time. See, I think we live in a culture, and you might disagree, I think we live in a culture that doesn't understand what the resurrection is because it hasn't been explained to us. We understand the symbolic nature of a cross. In fact, we have plenty of what I would call type shadows or pictures of the cross. You see a cross anywhere, what does it say to you? Christianity. Although a cross within itself doesn't preach the message, does it? It pushes us historically to a place and it reminds us of a prophetic future. But it doesn't mean you're going to live the life. You know how many people today are gathering all over the nation? Okay, I'm going to be a little controversial, so just... It's coming. I tried to be cute and polite, but it's over. So much for being gentle. All over the nation, people are gathering in large ceremonies, large services, gathering around the symbol of the cross, talking about a resurrection without putting a personal demand on a lifestyle that represents the authenticity of what we claim changed our life. Dear God, how dare we claim He's the resurrection of our life and that He is the breath, in of, breath within us and we still live like we're defeated and bound. How dare we continue to, to live a life that is void of the power of this cross? I'm not talking about perfectionism. I'm talking about being authentic enough to fall on your face and say, Lord, I've got to start over. I still need you to be my just and justifier. See, we don't understand justification at all. 
How many would say today if you had to give a definition to get into heaven, you knew what justification meant? No pressure there. Thankfully, we're not going to give you that kind of a quiz. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have to pass that to get in heaven. Okay, you didn't do that, but that's okay. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was defeated for my offense and your offense, but he was raised for my justification. Do you, do you, if you understood what justification is, you'd be excited. Because, see, justification, and I hate to do this, but how many of you have ever had to go before a judge? Don't raise your hand, though. I don't want your neighbor to know. I don't want your spouse to know. I know you got that hid, but we won't talk about that either. There, there, there is such a thing as a court system where that if you've committed an offense, you have to go before the judge or the jury who offers to you punishment for your... You understand what I'm talking about? You know what justification means? This is why the resurrection is not preached accordingly. Justification means this, very simply, that what I'm guilty of... Mm, what I may be accused of, what I have done, legally to this moment I have been acquitted of. What do you mean? That means the drug addict that I was, I'm not held accountable to that any longer. The alcoholic that I was, I've been acquitted. The resurrection means to me that even though I used to do this, and this used to be my lifestyle, when I came to the cross and I received justification and I, I came under the atonement, then I am no longer charged for what I did even though I did it. Now, now, now how many know your enemy wants to remind you of everything you did and remind you of it so you stay guilty and you're always asking for the Lord to forgive you of it? But when you've been justified, that means He threw the case out. So you can remember me in the old days for what I was, but when you take that charge before my, my attorney in heaven, and say, that man was a drunk. That man was an alcoholic. That man was a thief. That man was a liar. He said, I don't know who you're talking about, because I acquitted him of all charges and justified him by the resurrection. You say, what does that mean? That means you can't find any charge to put me down with. Woo! Man, that's freeing. Thank you, Lord. Wouldn't you like to know that every day? Wouldn't that need, doesn't that need to be something you preach? Thank you, Lord, I'm justified. Thank you, Lord, you've acquitted me of all sins and transgressions. Thank you, Lord, that I, I, even though I messed up yesterday, I came back to you. Oh, hallelujah. And I acknowledge you're more than a cross to me. You're my defender, my justifier. And because he's my justifier, I can live today with some hope regardless of the opinions of people. Wouldn't you like to be free from the opinion of people? Okay, don't make me come down there, because if I come down there, it's going to get really ugly. How many of felt like the opinions of people have absolutely hindered you from being great? Did people say, well, you're not good enough, and you're not worthy enough, you're not educated enough, you don't qualify? I don't have to be perfect. 
I just got to stay in relationship with one who was perfect. Because he is the resurrection. Anybody that can get himself up out of a grave. Huh? Muhammad didn't do that. You hear what I'm saying? He didn't do that. There's no other religion on the earth that can testify of one who is dead and now alive. You say, well, pastor, that's, that's just Bible. Yeah, really? Do you have any other standard to live by? Because any other standard that you say you could live by is not anywhere in comparison as authentic as this book. You say, well, you know, there's a lot of things out there. Yeah, well, ask them if their founder died and then showed up three days later to about 500 people and said, I'm back. If they can do that, I'll start worshiping. But until that day, I'm going to keep preaching. He's my justifier. Until that day, and I don't believe it's ever going to happen. We're going to continue to preach that the resurrection is more than a one day on the calendar event. The resurrection is not just Easter Sunday. It's every day of my life. Every day of my life, I come to find out I'm alive because of His gift. I'm alive because of His breath. I have hope for a future because He justified me. I don't know if our world will ever understand the depth of that. To think that we are justified. Because to me... That kind of diminishes everyone's opinion of me. Because it really doesn't matter what your opinion is. If his opinion is, he's washed in the blood. There's nobody in this room perfect, okay? That ought to be comforting. No one in this room perfect. But there's a lot of people in this room that are alive more than you've ever given them credit for. They're alive in their spirit. There's been a breath of God in them. They've been regenerated and justified. And we have a tendency in our culture to judge anybody who's excessively happy. Y'all hear me? Excessively happy. Because we equate happiness based on natural things. My happiness is not based on natural things. It has to be based on the fact that there is a resurrected Christ. Because, see, my happiness, my joy, my peace... Is connected to my relationship with him. I'm going to close with one thought. Is that all right? My wife said yes, so I guess that's okay. What happens when the desires of your life meet expectations? Because we all have desires for our life, right? How many has got some blueprints for how you'd like to see your life work out? Come on, be honest. How many found out there's just some things that happen in life that were not on your radar screen and you didn't anticipate and you certainly didn't like them? I'm pretty confident some of you didn't want to have your surgeries. Some of you didn't want to go have, through the loss or the passing of a loved one. There's some things that happened in our life that's beyond the scope of our reality or our comprehension. Am I right? And see what happens when life interrupts my desires, I lose my expectation. When life shows up and I lose my desire for what I think life should be, what happens? I get frustrated. I get discouraged. I find life not really being all that much joy-filled time, and I just get frustrated with it, and I don't like it. This week, life's going to interrupt you. Easter will be over for you. The family gatherings and the cookouts and the, 
the, the fun-filled times that you had with the grandkids will be over. I hate to tell you this, but unless the Lord comes back, you're going to work tomorrow. I thought I heard a yippee, but I'm not sure. Got to go back to work tomorrow. How many know that'll be a joy? Because you got some co-workers that, for lack of a better term, this is Georgia vernacular, they some rascals you work with. If you're sitting next to your boss, I'm sorry. If you got kids, they're going back to school. And they're going to deal with peer pressure. And they're going to come home in tears because somebody made fun of them in the hallway. And your baby is going to have a sickness that you've got to deal with. You're going to get a phone call where a family member was involved in an accident. And life's going to show up tomorrow. And when life shows up tomorrow, you're going to have to have a foundation that makes you resolute in an uncertain world. Because death is going to come. Tragedy is going to come. Peril and pain, sickness, disease is coming. It's going to be a part of the landscape of life, isn't it? How many found out you better be able to handle it? You say, well, I'll just handle it the best I can. I've sat in the hospital room with that family when they had no relationship with Jesus Christ and tried to deal with tragedy on their own. Never works out well. I don't know how you face life without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the reality is there's been a few times I've tried it and it didn't work out real well. Can anybody testify? There's some times where I didn't, I didn't want to have spiritual life. I wanted to handle life on my own. There's some times where I want to generate my own hope and my own expectation and have my own desires only to have them crushed under the weight of life. There's a few times, now I don't know, you may not testify this, but there's a few times that I thought I could breathe on my own, that I could handle life. And I didn't need God. And I didn't need His Son. And I didn't need the Holy Spirit. And I'll just testify, every time I thought I could breathe on my own and handle life on my own, I ended up at the end of the road. And I found myself coming to a real, real reality that I needed a relationship with Jesus Christ every day of my life. And most of you grew up in church and been around church and attend church periodically. I'm not even talking about church, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, not, not church, not institution, not mechanics. I'm talking about Jesus not a historical Jesus, not a futuristic Jesus. I'm talking about a present Jesus whom I can call on in the midst of my hardships, one that can be my justifier every day I get jacked up and watered up with life. I'm talking about a Jesus that gives me hope when I don't even have hope myself. I'm talking about a relationship every day of my life that guides my life and gives me breath to breathe, confidence to live. A Jesus that justifies me, and I know He justified me. And everything I've done wrong has been separated as far as from the east to the west. How many know that's a good thing? Anybody live perfect? I'm just looking to see who raised their hand. Anybody live perfect? Nobody ever done nothing wrong? Never said a hateful thing? 
I'm just waiting for y'all to process and decide whether or not you're free from I need to be justified every day. Every day I need to be justified. Every day I need a new new dose of hope. Every day I need a new dose of joy. Every day I need a new dose of peace. Every day I need him to be more to me than a religious figure. The shame is we do everything else before we say, Yahshua. The salvation of Yahweh. So what would you say? Jesus, be my Savior. Justify me. Give me breath and life and hope. Help me to live victoriously because somebody's watching my life. See, I didn't come here today to be perfect. I just come to point you to one who is perfect, who can make everything in you perfect, even though everything on the outside is wrong. Well, wouldn't it be great if we got saved today and gave our life to Christ and we didn't have to pay another bill? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that if you got saved today, give your life to Christ, serve the Lord, that you never had another bill, you never had another problem, you never had a relational strife, you never had nothing, you just kind of just floated? How many has been saved 15 years? 20 years? 25 years? Okay, I'm at 30. Let's see. All right, let's, let's, let's talk to those who have been saved a while. Life still presents a lot of challenges, doesn't it? And every time life presents a challenge, what is my defense? The resurrection of Jesus. Whether I've been saved 5 years, 15 years, 25 years, or 50 years, life still presents challenges and problems, and my defense is the same as it was from day one. And that is Jesus is Lord. And he's the Lord of my life. And he's given me new life and breathed life into me. And he's justified me. And no matter what the world presents, he's still Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That no matter how many days you live, he's the same. Stand with me if you can. The Bible uses this. We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.fivestoneschurch.info for more messages and media resources.